Today's show is brought to you by Trump Brain, the pills that don't make you smarter, but make you think you're smarter. They'll give you a boost of self-confidence. You'll feel as confident as a rich, straight, white man. You'll think your worst ideas are great ideas, just like Kanye, who was going to be our spokesperson, but now that's not happening. Trump brain pills are not approved by the FDA yet, but that's just the man trying to keep you down. He doesn't want you to think you're the smartest one in the room. He doesn't want you to maximize your potential. So you can buy Trump brain pills on the dark web in Bitcoin. Use the promo code TORE. Actually, don't use the promo code TORE. Marlon Hamilton is one of the most incredible people ever. She steals white privilege, or at least mines it for tactics that can help her. Marlon's someone who was homeless just a few years ago, but now she's a venture capitalist with a fund called Backstage Capital. Their mission is to invest in underestimated founders, that's what she calls it. Black, brown, gay, lesbian, and female founders who don't usually get the same look as the white boys. And she does this not because it's charity or an altruistic favor. She does this as a business advantage. Look, if almost all of the white boys who could become Zuckerberg get their shot and few to none of the others get their shot, then there's got to be business opportunities there as well. In her famous medium post, Dear White Venture Capitalists, if you're reading this, it's almost too late. Arlen wrote... It's not about helping founders, it's about fueling an untapped ecosystem so that you might be lucky enough to recap rewards in years to come. She's not saying invest in diverse founders because it's the right thing to do morally. She's saying it's the right thing to do business-wise. Right now, Arlen's firm is investing $36 million in companies run by black women. She's calling it her It's About Damn Time Fund. If she's giving a million dollars to 36 black women who have started their own companies, I know something special is going to come out of that. I wanted to know everything Arlen knows. How do you become a VC out of nowhere? How do you operate in Silicon Valley? How do you ask a billionaire for a million dollars? And how do you make white privilege work for you? She's going to break it all down. For people who love Torre Show when it's about how to achieve success, this is that-ish. This is that deep blueprint for success from someone who struggled to get into the rooms where the deals happen. A woman who watched white privilege operate and decided to make it work for her black dreams. Arlen came to my house for this interview with a producer from Startup who's devoted a whole season to her. I'm thrilled to give you Arlen Hamilton on Torre Show. What you do is quite opaque for most people. They do not understand your world at all. So before I can even get to your success, I have to understand, what is it that you do? (laughs) That's a good question. What does a venture capitalist do? Well, generally and traditionally, a venture capitalist... Um, at the simplest form, they take other people's money, other people who have lots of money, and who um, want a, a small portion of that money to be invested without their kind of say, like with, without them being deeply involved, passive. They take several of those people's money, they pull it together, and then they invest in something else. And usually that is uh, a tech-related startup company or it a portfolio have to be tech well for venture capital no it doesn't have to be tech but it's it's going to be tech or life sciences or you know bio or something or um uh having to do with uh, uh smart cities and things great like growth that. potential absolutely yeah and so they'll they'll put together a portfolio of companies whether that's 10 companies over five years that they invest a million or five million or whatever in, or in some cases it's a lot more companies with less amount of money or, you know, similar amounts, depending on the size of that fund. So a a VC fund, a venture capital fund, can be anywhere from 
$10 million to $10 billion. Can you say how much you have, what would be the terminology that you have under management? Yeah, assets under management. So AUM. how much? Uh, we have less than $5 million, That's what we can say now. But each, each one of those dollars was hard-earned, hard-raised. <laughs> and uh, so we, we would be considered on the very small side of a venture fund. And how many company, companies have you invested in? 64 to date. Have you had any exits yet? Not yet. We are we're about 24 hours. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's how it feels like. We're about 24 months out of the first uh, the first six investments. And so that's really early. Um, usually it takes about three to five years before you see an, uh, an exit unless something kind of crazy happens, which could. So, so we're getting into these companies really early in their lives. So we're, we're meeting them. First stage. Yeah, in a lot of cases. So we're meeting them when they, it's post-idea. They've done something. They have a website out. They have customers. But it's very early. Maybe, you know, they haven't generated revenue yet or they're um, just getting started. And that's where we come in. We kind of feel like uh, we call ourselves the friends and family fund. Do you watch Shark Tank and laugh at how ridiculous that is? Because that is being a VC, right? But it's sort of a cartoon version of right. what you actually well, do. They, yeah, they're... They, they're playing with their own money, though, so they're angels, and okay. that's the difference because they do invest out of their own pockets. I don't because I didn't have it, um, and so I, I raised that. I think that's part of the story is that I – so I said traditionally that's what venture capital is. The reason I am a little different is because I didn't have any sort of background in this, and I didn't have any connections, and I didn't have any money, personal money or legacy money. So Generally, VCs are rich themselves. Generally, yeah, they, I don't know if rich is the word, but they're definitely uh, doing well, or they're coming out of you know, Ivy League schools, or they're coming out of uh, you know, six-figure jobs where they've worked something else financial, and they're coming into it. I mean, it's just, very rare that you just have someone off. It's just easier... To ask rich people to give me money, <laughs> right, when you yourself are rich, that right? That is so true. That is so true, I would imagine. So how do you do it? Because, now, just, you are not rich. No, I was, I was homeless three years ago. Three years ago? Yeah. I mean, like... When, when I started the fund, I was homeless. When you say homeless, like, were you sleeping on the ground, or you were sleeping in people's couches? I was sleeping... On the ground indoors. Like, I never slept on concrete, but I slept on the floor of um, airports, like, like as, as my home. Now, wait, wait, wait. You were in the music business, right, mm -hmm. as a manager. As a tour manager. As a tour manager. Yeah. Which is a good job. And a production coordinator. I have to make sure to say both because yeah. I don't want to take away from someone else's gig. So, just how did it end up that you were homeless? Um, so, I'm 37, from 21 to 34, I probably spent 50% of my time without a home. That doesn't mean sleeping on the ground. That means not having a place to live, not having an address, kind of hoping that the three weeks that I slept on a friend's couch can turn into four. Um, you know, that's kind of fun when you're in your early 20s. It kind of is like, oh, she's a She's nomadic. <laughs> I could say that. I could say that with with a straight face. And then you get a little bit older, and it just becomes oh, you're begging people to to have a place to sleep that night. Uh, and then other times I would have I would find my way to having an apartment. But um, like more recently, like the the um, the time that I was you know starting the fund, and for a couple of years prior to that, I slept like I lived in a. I guess you could call it like a hostel type place. Like it was like 12 rooms. Thankfully they were private, but they were like, it was not fun. It was like bugs and, and like everybody shared the same bathroom. And it was um, a lot of people coming in and out that you just, if you push the door, it could open in the middle of the night. And it was, uh, that was, I stayed there for like several months in 2000 and what would that have been? 2014. And then a minute ago, yeah, it was. It's it's very new, like fresh in my memory. All of that. After that, I I lived in a hotel room with my mom for several months. Then every day and every couple of days, we'd figure out how to pay for it, like like a Best Western type. And we, you know, we'd both go out and work and come back and put our money together and hope that we could 
a fort that night or a fort that week and, um, you know, work out deals with the manager and be late. And it was just, you know, my mom was in her 60s. It was not a good look. It was not fun. We, um, so, so now when I'm working with people who have a lot of money or I'm making investments in companies, even if it is a, on the smaller side of VC, it is, I'm not very far removed from that time. So I'll, I'll be in a meeting and I'll be talking about a $500,000 deal or something. And then I'll just have like a flashback in the, like, wow, like I had to, uh, I, sometimes I went to bed hungry, you know, or sometimes I went to floor hungry. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I wow. get real. It, I, the only way I made it through all of that, and I'll just say that I, I know that um, a lot of people have it worse off than that, so I have to recognize that. But the only way I made it through that was sense of humor. Like, if I, if I didn't have a sense of humor of how ridiculous my circumstances were, I wouldn't have made it through. I would have, like, cried myself to death. Sense of humor carries you through, but surely there must have been something else. How did you get from being homeless to being a VC? Okay, so, um, yeah, I, I, it's it's not a straight line, so it's a little hard to figure out what started what. But I would, like, for instance, I would sleep on the floor of San Francisco Airport, and then... And the hard floor, I'll say, cold floor of San Francisco Airport. And I had my little luggage with me, and I'd go to a different spot every time to make sure people didn't think I was, you know, I wouldn't get in trouble or something. Um, and then I'd wake up, and I would go to a tech conference that I talked my way into, because I certainly didn't have the money for it. And I'd meet with people and, um, you know, try to make those connections. I had my little backpack and I would take my luggage to different hotels and, and, and say I was staying there. Can they hold my luggage? <laughs> you know, I would, I would make things work and have meetings in hotel lobbies as if I were staying there. And people thought I was staying there and I wasn't. And um, so it was this process of once I realized uh, I wanted to start a fund, then it was just a process of just one by one asking, talking to people. And that took couple of years to get the first yes so i can i can tell you why i wanted to start the fund and how that all started too well i want to talk about the why and your fund is very inspirational because you're doing something special with mm. it in terms of looking out for founders who have been forgotten right sure female people of color lgbt folks but before we get to that yeah just how do you ask somebody for a million dollars. Are you, are you asking folks to invest a million dollars in? I'm asking, yeah, in me and in my fund. I'm asking people to invest anywhere from. Well, I'm not asking now. But let's say that. Right, the fund as, is closed at this yes, time. Yes, we are closed. We are not asking. But when you were asking, on this like, program, how, how, do you, how do you ask um, somebody for a million dollars so it's when like, you have nothing? Right. So it's like anywhere from will you invest fifty k to a million to sometimes more. Asking for more than that, depending on who it is. Um. How do I do that? I just don't, I just feel that everybody in a given room is equal, including me. I researched and learned how so many um, able-bodied, straight, white men walk into rooms and ask for what they want every single day. I see it in person, and I say, why not me? Why not I? You know, like, why can't I do that? Especially when I feel like the intent behind it is so important. And it wasn't just for me. I'm not asking to have someone give me a ton of money. It's like, can we get this money together so that we can invest in, like you say, these forgotten or I call them underestimated founders? I mean, there's got to be a relationship happening to ask somebody for a million dollars in some cases in some cases not really yeah so and again it's it, sometimes it's a lot less than a million uh and you know it's still a, asking people for money that i had wouldn't have seen in a year in one fell swoop right um in some cases, yes, it's a relationship. It is. They saw me grinding before. I'm still here. I'm not a tourist. I'm not playing. 
they said, okay, you've done this, let's see what you can do with something. You've done this with nothing, let's see what you can do with something. But in some cases, the relationship isn't necessary because they see from the outside what I'm building and what has been accomplished. And it's more like nowadays it's more like we just want to be part of that. But um, you have to, I think, I think I have like a great respect for people's money. Like just because you're rich, I don't think that you owe me something or that you don't get to make your decisions the way you want to make them. I have a very strong, like if you have a million dollars or if you have $10, I, I respect both. And so I think that's probably why a lot of people who have money and means um, are comfortable giving some of that to me because it's not, I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like you owe that to me. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. I mean, just what are the what just what are the keys to asking? <laughs> you want to know how to get a, a millionaire or a bill- I mean, I want to know a lot of things yeah, from yeah, you. you. I don't. Would, I'm not going to just. just what are the this. keys? I, I don't know. I've never been asked this before. So let me. So yeah, I talk to a lot of millionaires. I don't think about that. I guess so. And especially billionaires. They're, yeah, I've they talked are to billionaires. A different too. sort of person. Yeah. And, 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 you know what? I'm. I guess I'm blissfully ignorant. Like I just walk into a room and I just ask. I ask the same. I I talk to. I have. I can think of three billionaires right now off the top of my head that I talk to probably on a monthly basis. Uh, Chit-chat, email them, send them a text. Um, And they're they're investors in our fund. I talk to them the exact same way and ask them the exact same way I ask someone else. Um, I guess part of it is that I feel like I could be a billionaire easily one day. Not easily, but like just as much as someone else has a chance, I could be. So I don't feel... I don't feel scared to ask. If I was a billionaire, who, yes. you, who you wanted to invest in your fund. Right. And we already had a relationship. Yeah. And let's say we've already had a conversation of 10 to 20 minutes, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And now you feel like it's time to make the ask. Mm-hmm. What are you exactly saying to say, hey, can like, how do you ask, can you invest a million dollars in my company? Yeah. In my fund? I tell them, I show them what we've done. I show them who, who, who we're working with, who, who else has invested. That's, that's helpful. They see some of their friends, you know. But mostly it's, are you someone who believes what I believe? Do you believe that women, people of color, and LGBT founders could possibly have the same uh, intellect, innovation, um, and potential to make money as anyone else who is um, more stereotypical of a founder. Do you believe that that's true? If yes, do you also believe that having less than 10% of venture capital go to that, those groups of people uh, combined, do you think that that's fair? And if you don't think that's fair or right, and if you also think that that is not um, that is opportunity being left on the table, backstage is a very good option for you to diversify. To diversify. I mean, yeah, you are you have you have couched the idea of invest in traditionally forgotten groups or traditionally ignored groups, not out of charity, mm-hmm. but because what was the word you used? Under, underestimated. Underestimated. Yes. And if you believe this group of folks is underestimated, mm-hmm. then we'll invest in them. Yeah. Because everyone good. else is, right? That's what we're all looking for, the underestimated idea. And you're like, we'll look for it in the demography, in the demographics. 100%. 100%. Exactly. It just, to me, at the beginning of this, it seemed like a no-brainer. It seemed like if I, 
if I wrote a few blogs about it, people, everyone would get it and start throwing money, and, and very few people did. So I said, okay, I'll just, I'll just start something myself to show you how to find those founders and then show you that they exist, because I got a lot of do they exist questions from people early on. Yes, they exist in the thousands. And then show you how to maybe choose, you know, set up a process to choose from those. And to me, it was, you know, I didn't have a financial background. I didn't, have a, I didn't know what a venture capitalist was five years ago. I didn't have any of the background. But what I did know, I had common sense. And my common sense told me there's this huge group of people, like millions of people are being overlooked and underestimated here. We're, they're just, just because of something as silly as, as how they look. How do you make money in this interaction? I, so venture capitalists and I, uh, we get a management fee, which is a, a small percentage of the total under, under management. And What's the percentage? It's usually 2% of the total per year. So like if someone has a $10 million fund, 200K is their management fee. That goes to them. That goes to their overhead, their employees. And then, but what the real kind of carrot is, is the carry, the carried interest, which is the profit, the share of the profit that you make at the end. So, or along the way. So like if you invest $10 million and you make 30, you turn that into 30 million because you made these great bets on companies, then 20 million of that is profit. Of that profit, you would get traditionally about 20%. So $4 million of that comes back to the manager. So the more you raise to begin with and have to play with, meaning at the table, not, uh, not to be frivolous, obviously, then the more potential you have for higher carry. So, yeah, your firm focuses on founders from underestimated communities, women, people of color, LGBT folks, um, it's, and you started this with like throwing down a gauntlet, right? Mm-hmm. With this dear white venture capitalist. If you're reading this, it's probably too late. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's real, just even the title is like yeah, yeah. throwing down this sort of gauntlet. And I mean, how has it been approaching this community? the Silicon Valley community that thinks a lot of itself and is extraordinarily white, straight, and male, Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, guys, there's a lot of other people you could be thinking about. Yeah. It's been an adventure. (laughs) It's been really great at times and really terrible at times. And I'm um, three years in, I am definitely a different person a different mindset you know it used to be this it used to be just this land of opportunity and now it's like I feel like I've I've seen some stuff you know oh I've seen I mean I think other people like it's coming out that there's just so much sexual harassment and there's just so much bad behavior with this and it's coming out but I mean you know women knew it already and then and then I think this year will be the year where Whereas last year, I think, you know, the entertainment world and the VC world and uh, other worlds learned about um, this this open secret of sexual harassment and abuse. I think this year, unfortunately, we're going to see more and more stories about racial issues. I also think, though, as horrible as they will be, probably, and... Um, disappointing as they will be some of our heroes will die this this year i think that that will affect change like it has with the gender and uh, sexual harassment cases um is there something different about female or black or brown or or lesbian or gay Mm -hmm. founders Mm -hmm. is is there some something that that binds them or just Mm -hmm. that they're not white and male and mm-hmm. not getting the traditional opportunities and yeah so it's 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 actually both at the same time which won't make much sense i it's both at the same time the the thing is no they're not any different that's the point you know they're they have just as much potential they have the same they're they're, they're i think when i say underestimated it's because you know when people think of our portfolio they think oh you're you're doing this sort of down and out people and it's like no i have people that have much more educated than I ever would be um, coming in. It's just that they, when they walk into a room, they're automatically the secretary because they're a black woman. 
If they, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a black woman founder tell me, I walked into the room with someone else in my team, and they automatically, the people who we're meeting with, automatically said something like, hey, hun, you know, can you get us some coffee? Or, you know, to that effect, to that effect, right? And, like, time after time after time, and then you talk about black men uh, underestimated intellectually, uh, underestimated uh, in leadership. You know, it, I, I compare it a lot to... Um, this could get weird because I don't know too much about it, but like sports, like you don't see a ton of black quarterbacks. I think it's the same. It's the same thing in, in business. Like they, it's, they're not trusted, you know. They're not trusted. They're not. We don't trust that you are. They don't think we're going to run off with them, run off not to Tahiti all. with the money. Not at all. But we're not as smart as. Or capable or. Gritty. Or, yeah. Or connected, or whatever. Whatever, it, whatever it takes to to get the job done. I don't. I actually, I spoke with someone who said that um, after they had a merger of their company, that the CEO of the other company was a white male. Said to, to said to his team internally before they went back to the other team to kind of celebrate. He said, "I didn't work this long to work for a black man." And he was having second thoughts about the merger. This happens. <laughs> and so, yes, we have, we're just the same, but then absolutely we're not the same. Because, you know, I, I said this recently, like, I believe that if you put me toe-to-toe with someone, white male, MIT, Stanford, Harvard, whatever, I don't have the education that they ha- that, 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 that person I just described has. But I think if you put me toe-to-toe with him and said, accomplish this goal, that, and, you know, I think I win. I think I have a really good chance of winning. Um, but the, before I can even attempt that, we're not toe-to-toe. Right. We're not toe-to-toe. Just by the body that I live in, right. we're not. And my thinking behind all of this is, let's get them toe-to-toe, and then we'll see. Then we'll see who, who wins. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. What do you have to do 
to surmount that difference, right? Because you're taking these shots, <clears throat> you're taking these shots that you're saying your founders are dealing with as yeah. a black female, uh, super gay, super gay, yeah, woman. So you're walking in, sending out these signals that you know that are difficult in this white cisgender yeah. male world. So how do you get past that to be like, hey, hey, it's it's up here in my mind. It's what I'm saying. It's not yeah. the rest of this stuff. Thankfully, I have this, uh, or at least I can put it on every day, this cloak of, um, what I say is, I have quietly been mining white privilege. <laughs> I've been... Um, uh, you mean pulling from it? Yeah, like I have been collecting white privilege along the way, mining it, holding it for myself. And um, what that means is that I simply ask myself, what would, what would he do? What would he do in a situation? How would he answer this email? Would he, would he take this email where someone's asking for all of his skill, all of his time, all of his network social equity, and not get paid for it? Would he say yes to that? Because maybe I would have said yes to that because I think, well, I got to play the game and that's how they don't have a budget for it and I have to do this. But um, the next guy, especially the next white guy, would not necessarily. So I pull from, I just kind of steal privilege yeah, are you saying i'm mimicking the ideas around white privilege yes. and the entitlement and yes like sometimes white privilege to me like when it when it is not you know detrimental to anyone else's health is like fascinating <laughs> like i remember i walked into a restaurant in texas and dallas with my mom like a year or two ago and we were it was a line you couldn't get a table for like 30 minutes and so we just sat down and that's what it was and then this white woman came in with her little nice clothes and she came in and she said i want a table and they said it's a 30 minute wait and she just walked into the restaurant and she said that table is open and she sat down and i wasn't mad at her even though she jumped i was like where do i get some of that <laughs> how do i harness that and use that in other situations you know like it's it's I don't know what it feels like to have privilege like that, but sometimes I think everyone knows what a privilege feels like in different situations. Like if you're walking down the street and you see someone who is homeless, in that moment you are the privileged one sure. if you're able to walk into your house. It's a small thing. Like you know what that feels like. Or, you know, if you are the only man in – I mean, if sorry, if you are a, a man in the room where there's only one woman – uh, at a business event, even if you're not the strongest person in the room by by socioeconomical standards or whatever, you in that moment have a privilege that you can choose to share. Are there are there specific things that you notice yourself doing in meetings that 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 that, that is this borrowing mimicking white privilege? Yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot of it's very natural to me. I've always, I, like, since my mom tells the story of, like, I was five years old, I walk into the store and I just tell everybody, you know, everybody what I want and this is what's going to happen today. So it's not all, like, you know, I'm not a, a wilting flower in the corner. But, yeah, I ask for more things than I ever have. I just directly ask people for things because um, I try to be respectful of people, but... I'm not going to accept less than the next person simply because I feel like I deserve, like if I feel like I deserve less. Because every time I ask for something or every time I um, kind of give someone, the, you know, even when it comes to like being my body language in a, in a room or in a like situation where I'm going on first class or something, Go in first class. It's all white people most of the time. Most of the time. Almost always. Almost always. And it's mostly men. And if it's women, usually they're with a man. Right. And nine out of ten times, there's this, like, looking at me, like, are you... And a lot of, like, maybe five out of ten times, it's the um, flight attendants or, like, this is, like... Yes, I know. I remember. I you know how I know because I paid for it. I remember from paying for it. Um, it's quite expensive, so I don't forget things like that. So even like the body language of I used to go into rooms, going to uh, business lounges or business rooms or something, and kind of 
I don't want to take up too much space in here. I don't want to cause too much attention to myself. Right. And this is as recently as probably three, two years ago. Right. Today, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm here. This is what we're doing. I'm very okay with that. You know, I'm not trying to be someone's diva, but I'm also not trying to make myself smaller to make other people comfortable who every day of their lives, they enjoy this privilege. I'm a founder. Okay. I got a company. Mm-hmm. It's going, but I could really, really use your help. Yeah. How do I pitch you? How do I get you interested? What is the, what is the perfect way mm. from your side of the table that you, what you want to say? If I'm the perfect founder yeah. for you, what do you want to hear me say and have done? I want you to have done your research. On you? On me? on the venture capital uh, landscape to uh, you don't have to like know my stats or anything, you know, but I need you to know my journey and to know where you would fit in that journey. So for instance, I have a lot of people that come to me and they tell me that they need money in a week or so. And if, first of all, if you think that, if you think that I, you know, I'm seeing every email and I could see that in a week. You, you probably have not been paying attention because there's what you should have known is that we get thousands of applications. And so just like little things like that, just about what backstage is up to and how, um, how few companies we can invest in, right? That's important. Another thing is like just knowing your knowing your stuff when it comes to the VC landscape, because if you are pitching me, you are pitching a venture capitalist. If you're pitching a venture capitalist and you do not understand what that means, what that means um, about, like, yes, you could make some money, like you could get some money today, but you are giving away equity of your company. You're giving away possible control of your company bit by bit. Do you really want that? Is this what you want? Sorry. Is this what you want? Um, there's a lot of people who don't, who just see venture capital. They may take a few days to research and they think they're ready. I would say for them, the best thing they can do is take several weeks and several months to train themselves. Like I did. I trained myself. I was, it was a boot camp. and anything that you're doing that you feel should be backed by a VC is worth the time of learning about who you're pitching to. So I got to know who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. What do you want to hear me say about my business? What is the way that I can frame my business <laughs> such that you're like, I'm interested in that. I like that. I want to yeah. roll with you. I think, you know, today it's a little different than it would have been two years ago because we have invested in 64 companies and usually you don't invest in that many in two years, you usually do that over 10 years. So we're at a point where it's very few companies that make it through. But, um, I mean, if you can tell me that you have traction on your own, that you didn't even go out looking for a funding until you, until you prove to yourself and to others that this is something that generates revenue. It doesn't have to generate profit, and it doesn't have to generate revenue if it's something that doesn't necessarily need to, like a, a social media uh, content kind of platform. But, like, if you can come to me with, in the last three months, 10,000 people have signed up to what we're doing, which happens all the time. And a lot of people say 100,000 is the number, their magic number, right? So I'm still finding people early. If you can say, this is what has happened in this amount of time. I, don't, I didn't have much money, so we weren't able to go here. But I think with a little bit of money, it goes here. If you say that to me, and I can look at, those, at that data, that is a, it's a clear indication of you being probably right. If you say, if I just had $50,000, I could do X, Y, Z, and you haven't done anything bootstrapped you haven't done anything on your own to prove any of that and you're just saying it's just like you're saying to me i have the i have a good idea i did everybody has good ideas so the more you can do with very little 
the more impressive that is and the more it tells me what you could do with more. So when I was asking for money, another thing that I would say to people is, especially early on when I was coming from this sort of, I don't have a place to live, but I'm still making this work, was look what I've done with so little. Like, I am a negative. My bank account does not exist. I am doing, but look where where I've gotten myself. I'm in the room. Imagine what I could do if I had more financial backing. That was something that was really appealing to people because you already, you put your sweat equity into it. You put your passion into it. If you can't put your own, write your own check, you know, your own angel check, you can do that with other valuable things that you already have. Going a little bit more deeply into that question, Talk about how you evaluate a potential company, a new, a potential new investment mm-hmm. for you. How much are you looking at the company itself and how much are you looking at the founder and what sort of person he or she is? I would say the founder first. Looking, what do you want to see in the founder? I'm looking for someone, and I see a lot of them that I can't invest in just because we don't, you know, you don't invest in everybody, right? But I... It's going to be, I think if you look at our portfolio today, if you put them all in a room or put half of them in a room, what you would find is like this, um, this, this never giving up quality, this t- tenacity. But, again, I hate to repeat myself, <laughs> but I have to. Um, hungry, not thirsty, right? Ooh, what's the difference? Hungry is I will do what it takes to make this company work. Your no does not stop me from keep from keeping going. Thirsty is begging. You're thirsty for it. It's it's you know you you're desperate. There's an air of desperation. You, and I in the desperation I need you to and make this I, work. And if I don't have you, yeah, then I'm if dead. you don't if you need me to make it work, then it's it's not a viable company. Hungry is I know this is gonna work. You can't, you won't, or you can't invest in me. Let me show you. Make me jealous and regret my decision. Right. Don't come to me and say, which happens a lot. Don't come to me and say, I have to have your investment, or we are done. Um, I try to do. I try to practice what I preach because I, you know, every venture capitalist that you meet, if you are a founder who is looking for venture capital, they all had to raise money from other people. You know, they might have had an easier, quote-unquote, job at it than I did, but they have to do that every two, three years themselves, so they know that. So I try to practice what I preach, and I I mean, even in really tough situations, I try to be, I try to set it up as this is an issue, but it's not your issue. This is my challenge. Do you want to be part of that? challenge you know opportunity that's arisen in that challenge challenge and i think that framing it to me the way that i frame it to others is probably a really smart idea okay so you like the founder what is the uh, how do you evaluate the company itself Mm -hmm. so that's where it gets a little more ambiguous because to be honest with you so we have a team of eight i guess we're at 10 now um and half of that team is 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 on the investment side of things so to be honest with you and I think this is across the board people just don't say it like I am truly it's like this x-factor magic moment thing it is I I usually know if I'm going to invest in someone within 15 minutes of talking to them because of who they are the personality because of who they are you know they they might I mean obviously if they show me a deck or show me a you know a presentation or they show me you know a model of what they're doing and I can see the product, and I can see, oh, that's, that's amazing. What is that? I, whoever's doing that, I want to be part of that. You, obviously, that's like a thing. But more times than not, it's, it's that person. I can, that person tells me all I need to know because the company can change and probably will change over the years. Right. There will be things that you thought were going to happen that did not end up happening, so you have to pivot. I'm looking at... In a situation where they have to pivot or they don't make the sales they thought they were going to make or they go through tough times, they can't raise again, what is that person going to do with that? That's who I'm backing and that's what I'm backing. And then once I make that decision or once I'm thinking through that or while I'm thinking through that, then others on the team are, are looking at more you know, data and historical things to, to back it up. And a lot of times, too, we'll get 
recommendations from some of our investors and some of our current portfolio company founders. So you've talked about that you pattern match for grit. Mm-hmm. What, what does that mean? Um, so actually that term was told to me by a woman who used to work at Morgan Stanley and she looked at hundreds of funds, venture funds over over several years. And she was learning about my story early on. And that was her summary of what I do. You know, she was like, oh, you pattern match for grit, you know. And so what it means is going back to the person, it means all those things that make me, give me the impression that you can withstand lots of obstacles, you can, you can, you know, take a lot of ups and downs and kind of keep your center of gravity. That is what I'm looking for across the table. Is and, and the reason that I feel I am able to recognize it, time will tell if I'm right, right? But the reason I think today that I'm able to recognize it is because I, I pattern match. I look for myself and others. It's... Um, because I don't have, you know, all of this, this MBA and all these degrees and all, I, I don't come in with an algorithm. I guess I come in with like a, an algorithm in my head of mm-hmm. like, you tell, like one of the examples I gave recently was 40 year old, 40 year old black woman who's had a child or two and put herself through college or went through college. Um, I, in that if you put her in front with with let's say a company that was pretty general general when it comes to what they're what she's doing so so several different types of vcs could look at it and and it'd be something that could go in their portfolio generally what i found in the past and hopefully this is changing but what i found in the past is that is that most current vcs who who fit this straight white male have only had certain people in their network. Most of them would look at her and say, first of all, I, I can't go and have a beer with her, in my opinion. So that kind of that's one strike. Whether they believe it or not, whether they agree with me or not, and whether they admit it or not. Second would be, um, well, she's getting started kind of late. You know, this is a this is a young man's game. And she's, she's got a kid. She's got, exactly. She's got a kid. Take time away. Or... She's a 30-something woman. She's going to have a kid. Absolutely. 100%. And, and, and then we get into that. So that's just the superficial stuff. Then we get into what we were talking about earlier. Is she capable? I didn't, I didn't have anyone like her in my class when I was in No one led my, led my group. So they go into issues. She doesn't look, she doesn't look like look. what I have seen mm-hmm. leaders, founders, yes. billionaires yes. look like. And then you have me and you have others who look like me who are writing checks now. And what I see when I see her is my mom raising two kids by herself, t- doing two jobs and figuring that out. And I don't know if I can cuss and probably don't want to cuss with my mom listening. Figuring that shit out. Bring it. Okay. Um, when I see a woman of any race background holding a baby and on the phone at the same time, I say to myself, that's a multitasker. That's all I say. I don't say anything, you know, any of these other kind of negative things. I say, that's a multitasker. I want her running some part of my, my team. And that's kind of, I think that's the fun, the positive part that of my job is that I get to, I get to see things that maybe other people wouldn't see as like a positive, you know? So I think it's very basic what I do. I think it's like, I'm Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell, I don't know if he has any other like musical talents. I don't think I have, you know, have this great talent, but I think my one talent that is very sharp is discovering talent in others and recognizing, forget discovering, recognizing talent in others. And so when it comes to, that first layer, that's what I see. And then there's people around me who can help us with, like, looking at their their tech stack to see if they really know what they're doing over here. Or can that be, can that be stronger? Looking at, you know, this or that. And you notice grit. You see grit where? Um... If I, if I have the chance to learn anything about their past... 
if I have the chance. Are you saying, say yeah. it in a different way? Like, like, yeah, when I said it, I was like, that was Yeah. Um, just how do you recognize grit in others? Yeah, so if I, if I have the chance to talk to them about their past, that, that reveals so much just in that five minutes. Because usually when someone tells you about their past, or the, they pull out the quick version of it, they're saying it kind of in a nonchalant way, kind of like, this is what I did. And from an outside point of view, you can, you can immediately pinpoint, well, they had to take a bus to get to school. That means, okay, that's 45 minutes commute. That means that they cared about it. That means they're passionate. That means they're, they're gritty. That means, you know, just these little kernels of information that I can, can mine uh, from people, that's a big part of it. And it's the same thing that other venture capitalists are doing. They're pattern matching, but they're pattern matching for Mark Zuckerberg. They're pattern, pattern matching for um, Elon Musk. And, and I believe that there is an Elon Musk in Jackson, Mississippi, who is a, a little black girl. And I want to find her. <laughs> you know, like, that is, that is just what drives me. Is there, um... What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamin a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Can you talk about one of your companies that you're more excited about? Mm. And I, I know that's perhaps like <laughs> choose your favorite Yeah, that's child. always a tough. We have, so I'm, I'm, I, you know what? I keep saying it's tough and I need to get better at it. I just need to get better at this. Because there's 64 and every single one of them I consider a friend and there's... Uh, um... I think Air Affordable is really cool. Air Affordable? Air Affordable. Air Affordable, what yes. are they doing? So what they do is they are, the, the simple form is they're layaway for flights. So this woman, Ama, uh, was in school, in college, a black woman, and she wanted to fly uh, internationally to go back to, ho- go, go home and visit her family. And she, you know, it was a big ticket item, like $1,500 or something to do that. So she wasn't always able to go back when she wanted a holiday. She'd be kind of just sitting in her dorm and everybody else was flying around. So she said, I wonder, I wish there were a way, kind of like people do on cruises. Like if you go on special cruises, you can do this layaway thing. I wish there were a way to do that with just general flights. And she couldn't find it. And so she created it. And now they've, um, they've done millions of dollars in flights for people. You sign up for, like, let's say you want to go to London and you want to go in, in four months. You will put down a down payment. You'll pay a small fee, and then you will pay it over time, like maybe four, pay, four installments. When you order it, Air Affordable buys the ticket for you at this price and holds it for you. And there's all sorts of insurance and default um, policies in place. But it's a very low default rate because people usually – when they make the effort, they really want to go. And they're, they really, you know, it's just a matter of like, I don't, I don't get paid, but every two weeks I can't put this my whole paycheck. Is, this is it. a black 
female founder. Exactly. And it seems like a service that will be most valuable to black and brown people, right? Especially working class. A lot, of, yeah, a lot are, yeah. Are are you finding that your underestimated founders are quite often their services are over serving black, mm-hmm. brown, oppressed, et cetera, oppressed people? I would say it's about 50 50. Okay. So a lot of people, I, I just in general enjoy people who like to. A, a, a tackle their own pain point in a in a, a company, meaning just like Ama, I this is something that is important to me. I couldn't find a way to do it, so I'm going to do it. As opposed to let me see how I can get a cupcake delivered to Williamsburg faster than the next app that does that. You know, that's not necessarily a pain point. So in our portfolio, there are there are a lot of. Uh, founders who are addressing their own pain point and in that comes let me talk to uh to people that you know i relate to like cap capway you know they're talking to the underbanked and they started instead of starting in boston new york san francisco la where a lot of these fintech companies start they started in the southeast and in like mississippi and talking to people who who truly have would never imagine that they would have a savings account. I'm not putting my extra $100 in a savings account. Are you kidding? I need that. And trying to change that for generational wealth and legacy. So, yes, 50%. The other 50% is, is like if you, if you took that person's picture off of the deck, off of the presentation, and you slapped another picture on there, you wouldn't know the difference. And so they both intrigue me. Both of those scenarios intrigue me. What is the biggest check that you have written? We have written, the biggest check has been a total of 240K, uh, but that was through a syndicate. But that was to one company? Yeah. And what did that feel like, giving somebody $240,000 of money that you had worked your butt off to get? And you believe in them, but still, I mean, coming from where you came from, and now you're on the other side writing a check for a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> I guess it doesn't hit me until later. So it felt it felt great to be able to do it, but I was, you know, the next hour I was working for the next, like trying to get the next person's check. So it felt, I felt like I accomplished something and I was very happy that we were able to do that for that company. I don't know if any of this is going to hit me for a while. I I feel a little bit of a, it's like just a, like a completely turned around life. So I don't know if it's actually hit, hit me yet. It's, um, but you're right. I, I guess I did write a 250K. Do you own check. a home? No. No, I you rent. renting? I rent, yeah. Do you not want to own so that you Yeah, have of course that? I do. I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not rich. So <laughs> I'm not, um, you know, this is, this is. I want to own a home. I probably will by the end of this year because I will be getting a little bit of um, inheritance from my my father who passed away last year, or two years ago, actually, two years ago. Um, Can you say approximately how much you are making? Yeah, I can. Well, I I tweeted uh, that I made 115,000 in 2016. I make more than that today. Uh, This year, I will. Let's just say that. I will be in line with other VCs within the next 24 months, and that will mean anywhere from 300 to 500k a year. So you're becoming a rich person. <laughs> I, I I guess I might. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm more excited about. Here's what I, I'm I'm not excited about salary. Salary is. It's just cool. I get to eat great. I get to take care of my mom. My mom got sick. I was able to make sure she didn't go without. Cool. I'm looking for those exits. I want those companies that I believe in to sell, have a liquidation event, and that's when I become rich. I become rich off of that, and I will proudly shout it to the mountaintops. (laughs) I will be – I will just – I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm rich, bitch. I will be all over the place. You would not be able to get rid of me talking about that. But salary to me is just, just a means to an end. Um, what's the difference between being a good VC and being a great VC? 
Um, well, the same thing that I say about being a great versus good CEO, which is um, being able to filter the noise of feedback. It's really hard to do. It's, I think it's a special skill. And if you can get there, then you're good. So you get a lot of, lot, a lot of feedback. As a, as a, I should say I do, and I would imagine a lot of VCs who, um, who have like hundred million, hundred million dollar funds or less or something like that. And knowing who and what to listen to. Exactly. Yeah. Just not turning turning the boat at every single suggestion or just reacting immediately. I try to um, I try to take things into consideration, take take advice. I'm not no nobody's perfect, nobody knows everything. So I'm learning every day. But it doesn't necessarily mean you have to act on that advice. You know, just it, it, so I think having vision is really important and it's really attractive to me and, and other people having vision. What is your superpower? Um, ooh, uh, I, I think, again, I think it's in like being able to recognize other people's potential. I think that's the case when it comes to looking for it, companies to invest in, people to invest in, when it comes to hiring when it comes to partnering with people, when it comes to the people that I surround myself with, there's just, uh, I, feel, I feel that I can strongly sense someone's, someone having great potential and then hopefully helping them reach that. They say that you have a uniform. <laughs> Who is they? Uh, I guess my uniform, you're referring to like jeans and a t-shirt yeah, usually? Yeah, the, the black hoodie. Yeah. Is that still yeah. your uniform? Yeah, it's it's just simply like it's convenience. Like I've never had a, like a great sense of style. What I do like are my shoes. Like every pair of shoes I have are a different shade of purple. And I'm very excited about them. I have, you know, not that many. I used to have like one pair of shoes for seven years until it had holes in it. And then I would get the next pair from Payless. That was literally my life from five to 35. So now that's my one little fashion thing that I do. What you said about mimicking and mining white privilege mm-hmm. so powerful. I mean, oh. that's going to be so inspiring for a lot of people. Um, and I always want to know what attitudes people have that have been most helpful in creating their success. So are there other attitudes that, have really helped propel you? Um, I guess, uh, I don't know if, if this qualifies, but my girlfriend, my, now my fiance, says that I have like this very, like this, thank you. She says that I have this really strong sense of just internal justice. Like I have, it's, I, I guess you can translate that a little bit to like, I want things to be fair. So she, so a lot of times, um, that is all I'm ser- searching for in the moment. Is I would like for this to be as fair as possible. I mean, that deep desire to have or create fairness mm-hmm. seems like very much at the core of what you're doing. Hey guys, let's look at these other people. Let's give money to them and give them a shot. Yeah, why not? Because I mean, it's they've been overlooked. They've been underestimated they've been i mean a lot of times they've been oppressed but we're not even talking about that all we're talking about is you're supposed to be venture capitalists you're supposed to take risks that other private equity does not take you know there are a lot of other private you're equity supposed to be riskier absolutely that's the very nature of venture capital why is your risk why doesn't your risk include diversity why doesn't your risk include going to people in places that are outside of your comfort zone? That is the opposite of risk. That's comfortable. Get uncomfortable. I mean, when we talk about progress for black and brown, female, gay folks, we have talked about marriage equality, Me Too, ending mm-hmm. the war on drugs, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. 
But what you are doing is really critical to helping create a better future mm -hmm. for oppressed peoples. You are actively trying to put more money in those communities. And yeah. that will make a massive immediate difference in what those people are able to do for mm -hmm. themselves, their communities, and their families, potentially exponentializing in the next generation. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's, legacy and wealth are really important to me when it comes to like ownership. Like, um, not just working for other people and not having the country look like it does today in a hundred years. You know, our heyday is right around the corner and I want to somehow enable that in my way. Arlen is so inspiring and she's so important. The way to combat so many of the societal problems facing black people right now is to address the wealth gap. If we can get more money into more black hands, then we can grow to a more equitable society. We can have more political power to help us get there. More than improving education or ending mass incarceration, the wealth gap is what we need to close to get to an equitable society. Look, if there's more money in the black community, we won't need them to like us they'll be forced to respect us. Thanks, Arlen, and thanks to you for listening. We're giving you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and I hope this show can help you. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please stop by and say hi. And if you like the show, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell a friend who you think would like the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and Chris Basil, with help from Shelby Royston and Candid Nicole and William Jolly, and photographs by Chuck Marcus, in association with Cadence 13 Studios. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks, because the man can't shut us down. 